Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Thank you for joining us on Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. And we know water is a life force. Now, of course, before it gets to our faucets, it has to go through some processes to make it drinkable. And to tell us more about it, I'm happy to welcome back to the program the Public Affairs Administrator in the Office of Public Engagement at Miami-Dade County's Water and Sewer Department, Jennifer Messimer. Good to talk to you again. Thanks. Glad to be back. I have to tell you, at Bonanza just a couple weeks ago, I was telling people how great the tap water is in Miami-Dade County because, of course, they have the Plastic Free 305 initiative that Mayor Cava has started. And I was like, yeah, you don't need bottled water in Miami-Dade because you have great quality tap water. What do our listeners need to know about it? Well, we're super lucky, Alan. The reason why is because our main water supply that we get our drinking water from in South Florida is from the Biscayne Aquifer. It's a very pristine water source. And at the Miami-Dade Water and Sewer Department, we withdraw and treat approximately 300 million gallons of water every single day. Just to put that in perspective, 300 million gallons of water would actually fill up the Freedom Tower, not once, but twice every (laughs) single day. So we then deliver it to more than 2.4 million customers through our more than 8,700 miles of pipes. So just think about that, 8,700 miles of pipes. That's not even for the entire Miami-Dade County area. But to put that in perspective, 8,700 miles of pipes, if you were to stretch that into a straight line, that would be the equivalent of flying from Miami International Airport to Beijing, China. And that's all underneath our feet. And our labs, we test our drinking water throughout the entire treatment process, approximately 150,000 times a year. And that exceeds what the requirements are at the federal and state levels. And every year, Miami-Dade Water and Sewer Department authors a consumer confidence report that details how our water is treated, how high quality it is, and where it ranks according to the state and federal guidelines. And anyone who wants to see that, our most recent CCR, Consumer Confidence Report, is on the web at miamiday.gov slash water report. Okay. And, you know, you've got such excellent customer service. What does the Water and Sewer Department have to do to maintain this service delivery? Well, the department is currently more than halfway through its multi-billion dollar capital improvement program, which is the largest in Miami-Dade County history. We are replacing hundreds of miles of water and wastewater pipes. We're upgrading our treatment plans and hardening our infrastructure throughout the system to increase resiliency and sustainability. And that's going to allow our department to continue to maintain service even during severe weather events. So just within the first eight years of the CIP, the department has invested nearly $2.9 billion and has completed 2,053 projects. And we currently have another 804 going in various stages of completion. I remember when you started this with replacing the pipes, and this is a huge investment in our infrastructure, which of course we need. 
How do we ensure the longevity of what you're doing? It's just like when you buy a brand new car, you want to put the best gas in it and you're washing it all the time and you're putting a coat of wax on it because you want to maintain that investment, right? You spend a lot of money every month, you're making a payment on it. So we want to do the same thing with the investment that we're making into our system. And I think one of the things that folks don't realize is unfortunately, we at our department, we're an invisible department, meaning that if a different department was building a road or they were building a bridge, we're building, you would see the progress step by step and seeing what's going on, right? right? A lot of our investment is underground. You don't see it. Out of sight is out of mind. Or we're doing upgrades at our water and sewer treatment plants. Folks don't see all the hard work our staff is doing. So what we can do and what we are asking our residents and visitors and customers to do is to partner with us because on a monthly basis, our staff removes 300 tons, not a year, in a month, 300 tons of wet wet. wet and other unflushable items out of our sewer collection system. And to give you an idea of what 300 tons looks like, that's the equivalent of having 50 male African elephants marching out of our our, our sewer pipes every month. (laughs) I love how you put things in perspective. It really gives you an image. I mean, that would just be insane. And yet they tell us these things are flushable. Well, unfortunately, the level of time it would take, the time you flush your toilet to when it gets into our infrastructure, it does not break down on our system, right? So I'm not here to dispute products claims, but I can tell you in the time it takes as someone who works for this department, and I can tell you about what our system is designed for, it is designed for only the three P's, right? P, poop, and toilet paper. (laughs) Not not Q-tips, not dental floss. Not even putting your hair from your hairbrush in the toilet. Your toilet is not a trash can. If it's not one of the three P's, put it in the garbage can, not in your toilet, right? Because when you add in the cost to eliminate the clogs that are at our pump stations and our pipes and our treatment plants, it really adds up. And that on an annual basis, our staff is reacting to these clogs to a tune of $3.4 million. So that cost, where do you think it goes? It gets passed on to having to replace equipment. So we have to raise our rates. And ultimately, you're affecting your own pocket. So right. if you change a couple of habits that you're currently doing now at home, you're going to help prevent the system from getting clogged up and having things break down. And you're going to end up saving money in your pocket in the long run without having to have you know rate increases due to continual system breakdowns. Right. And well, when you talk about money, that is usually something that motivates people. So to keep our costs down and our water bills down, what are things that we as customers, consumers can do to help you and to protect our sewer pipes? In addition to not throwing away wipes. Correct. So another biggie and another baddie, another big baddie in, in our system is grease, right? So we recommend that you can the grease after cooking with oil. Have you ever like when you're cooking something, you have oil in the skillet, you just forget about it for a little bit on the top of the stove, you come back and that grease has solidified into that white gunk, right? Uh So it's the same thing. Just because you pour it down your drain, your, your disposal as a hot liquid, it will eventually solidify in our sewer pipes, right? So if you end up, at, in this case, out of sight is not out of mind because once it cools, it can block the sewer pipes and not just the big main sewer pipes, right? But your individual sewer line underneath your home. And if your sewer line gets clogged up from all that grease and the wipes get stuck to it and everything else, you're going to have a sewer backup in your home. And if you block your sewer line, that's the residents, that's the homeowner's responsibility to make repairs to that one. So what we actually do is let the grease cool down, put it in a can, 
let it cool. And then when it solidifies in that can, throw it away in the garbage. And then also just get into the habit of putting all of your cooking leftovers, like the peels, your eggshells, you know, leftovers from the fridge. And when you scrape your plates off after dinner before putting them in the dishwasher, just put that all in the trash instead of down in the sink. Um, what about when you have a disposal? Isn't that the whole point of a garbage disposal? Well, again, it's just one of those things where I can advocate, you know, just because something's meant to do something, you can always <laughs> enhance, you know, we're telling you to enhance the system as far as how it reacts in our local sewer system, right? Okay. So the more things that are not meant to go down there, meaning the th- not the three Ps, because no matter how much you grind up eggshells or parts of your leftovers, inevitably, you're still putting some form of solids into our system. And down the road, that just costs us more at the treatment plant to remove that from the waste and leaving as liquid waste to be able to treat that. So, you know, if you're able to just scrape it off into the garbage can, that's definitely our recommendation. Okay. While we're talking about the wastewater system, you've got a program that's called Connect to Protect. What is that about? So approximately 120,000 properties in Miami-Dade County are currently served by septic tank systems. They're not a part of the county wastewater collection system. And due to sea level rise, currently 9,000, as of today, currently 9,000 septic tank systems are vulnerable or compromised or are currently failing under the current groundwater conditions. So this number increases to approximately 13,500 by 2040. And more than 50% of septic tank systems that are identified as compromised or failing are all located in the northern part of Miami-Dade County. That's why it's critical for Miami-Dade County to address this through our Connect to Protect multi-year countywide program that will transition uh, folks on sanitary sewer systems to our county collection system, sewer system. So initial areas that have begun, because we have already begun the program, either the ones that have begun or will begin the process of transitioning over the next few years are either close to existing wastewater infrastructure. So that makes it the, you know, the easiest low-hanging fruit to get them onto our system immediately. Or they're areas that are already currently vulnerable to compromise or failure by 2040. So why is that an issue? Compromised and failing septic tank systems pose a risk because that saturated soil conditions from the waste, the pollutant-loaded effluent, the nutrients, those pathogens, and other objects that would move from your toilet and for your home into the septic tank system is now leaking because it's oversaturated with the water intruding into it. And it's moving away from those septic tank systems into our soil, into the groundwater, and even into surface water such as Biscayne Bay. So by transitioning and doing this connected protect, we can impact and improve, you know, the protection of our groundwater and Biscayne Bay, as well as having an improved impact on human health. It's going to take many years for all these properties to be connected and be fully executed. However, those folks who are on septic tank systems can also partner and help with the health of our community by making sure that they can minimize nutrient impacts to our groundwater and local waterways by properly maintaining their systems until it becomes time to transition them over to the sewer collection system. Okay. And I'm going to guess all this information is on the website at miamidade.gov slash water. Correct. Okay. What I'm going to do is ask you to come back so that we can talk about hurricane season and how to conserve water while people are using water more during the summer. But for now, I want to be sure that people can get the information about everything we've talked about today with conservation and keeping the pipelines clean. Again, miamidade.gov slash water. Jennifer Messimer, Public Affairs Administrator with the Office of Public Engagement, Miami-Dade County Water and Sewer 
Labor Department. Thank you. We're going to talk to you in a few weeks. Thanks so much. I look forward to it. As you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and each week on Community Focus, we're speaking about different aspects of mental health. This week, in light of the increase in suicide rates among children and teens, as well as adults, you know, we just saw what happened with Naomi Judd. We turn to the president of NAMI Miami, the National Alliance on Mental Health, Susan Racher. Susan, it's great to have you back again, and you always have so much wisdom to bring to us. Thank you. Thank you so much to you and to Cox Media for consistently lifting up mental health messaging and awareness and great information and resources. I'm delighted to be with you today. You know, we've watched the numbers and we know that a lot of it is attributable to the pandemic, the unsureness that people went through for two years. And, you know, now we're watching a war with Russia and Ukraine where we're looking at people who look like us and are carrying their pets 10 miles and watching shopping malls and apartment buildings being destroyed. And it's something that we can feel like, oh, if it could happen there, could it happen here? So everyone, Mm -hmm. I think, is kind of on edge. And the numbers for suicide have gone up so much. I think that's what we really need to address today. Can you talk about what drives people who seem to be perfectly happy to commit suicide? Thank you for the question. I would say that the suicide ideation and increase in numbers actually started pre-pandemic. So if we look at 2009 to 2019, there was a 40% increase of students who felt hopeless and sad. And it was one in three overall high school students and 50% of female students. And so it averaged out to 40%. It's the number two cause of death in young people. And both the Surgeon General, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and the CDC have all rang alarms about the dramatic increase in suicide ideation. And that, as a result, NAMI Miami has decided to add a very robust suicide prevention program to its portfolio. And we've been involved in doing that for the last couple months. Okay, I want to come back to that in just a second. But is there a reason that anyone knows of why the first thing that comes to my mind is social media and the kind of bullying and the anger and the hatred that's there? But are there other reasons that we're not aware of on why there's this increase in suicide? Experts say that approximately 90 percent of individuals who end their lives with suicide have had an underlying mental health condition. It may not be visible to those who don't know what the warning signs look like. However, untreated mental illness is a major problem. And what is untreated mental illness. In the entire United States, only about 45% of people who have a mental health challenge are treated. So 55% are living with a serious challenge. I don't mean a bad day, woke up, don't feel like going to work, feel a little blue. I mean something that's intense, persistent, and interrupting daily living. 55% of people are not getting care. Mm Among people of color, among the Hispanic community, the African-American community, it's more like 65% are not getting care. There's stigma. There's lack of access to care. We have a shortage of providers. Even though we have the Mental Health Parity Bill of 2008, it is not being followed or complied with. So 
parity for mental health care is not readily available to folks. And in many states, the system is dramatically underfunded. We're also not screening. So there was a recent study that I just read that where there was universal screening of youth, there was a 30% decrease in suicide ideation. So screening is essential. I guess that enables people to then take action and work, like you said, with the suicide prevention program that you've begun at NAMI. And to talk about it, you know, I one of the things that drove me and our team at NAMI is that we have experienced in our own community here a number of losses due to suicide. And it seems to be a general a lack of understanding as to what do we look for? What, what are the warning signs? Can we talk about it? Or if we mention something, does, does that encourage people? These are all really good questions. And we wanted to bring programming in that answered those questions and also shines a light on the fact that we need to talk about it. I'll never forget Congressman Raskin, who lost his beautiful son in December to suicide, said the one regret he had is they never talked about suicide. Mm. And we need to talk. I mean, if you ask me what the acronym is for NAMI, it's not N-A-M-I, it's (laughs) T-A-L-K. Yeah, I love It's so true. You know, talking does make a difference. And I know there are a number of different kinds of therapies that we'll talk about in a minute. But what are some of these signs that people can look for that might indicate someone is considering suicide? Let's start with general mental health signs because they contribute. And then we could go into suicide specific, if that's okay. Sure. So is there a change in personality? So we sent our son off to college. Happy go lucky. The world is my oyster. Great kid. Millions of friends, you know, no social problems at all. And we're getting phone calls back home of sense of isolation, not getting joy from the same things, you know, texts at weird hours showing that he wasn't sleeping. These are all signs disorganized, missing classes, responding emotionally, expressing thoughts of hopelessness, changing or losing friends or not having friends at all, sad, hopeless, empty, or high level of activity at night, you know, doing something that normally they wouldn't have done. Um, Change in behavior, you know, a polite person becoming rude. So we need to look out for this and look out for what is the duration and the intensity. You know, if it's a bad day or a bad couple days, that's not the same as if you're seeing a trend. Um, As I look back, we thought our son's illness was sudden. It wasn't. We just weren't paying attention to these subtle but significant changes. As it relates to suicide, you know, have they had previous traumatic experiences or bullying? Do they talk or write about death? Do they talk or write about having no reason to live, being a burden, loss of interest and joy in the things that they care about? We offer a training called QPR, Question, Persuade and Refer, that is about an hour. We're offering it on Zoom for parents, teachers, staff, employers, everybody to just understand this warning signs and how to talk with someone you suspect maybe thinking about this and then where to go for resources, because that's the other problem. So, you know, parents say, well, I have a problem. Where do I go? Who do I talk to? 
So where do they go? We have an, a network of providers in our community through Thriving Mind South Florida. NAMI Miami has a warm line that can help folks. When I say warm line, it is not a crisis line, but it is a line where somebody with lived experience will answer the phone and help direct individuals to both our groups for support and to resources. And in our support groups for parents and for individuals living with mental health challenges, we have nine a week. We have a young adult support group for individuals living with mental health challenges. We have uh, support groups for older folks. We have parent support groups for children, parent support groups and spouse support groups. And so the collective wisdom of these support groups facilitated by a NAMI trained facilitator also helps people understand where to go for help. If it's a crisis, though, and you're concerned about safety of the person, you know, whether it's an employee or a loved one, make sure you stay with them, make sure they're safe, make sure you remove any source in the house or office of implements or things that they can hurt themselves with. Okay. And I want to give your website, NAMIMiami.org, for anyone who wants to look up when these programs are taking place so they can participate. The QPR is an amazing program with this question, persuade, refer, because for a lot of people, they don't really know what to do when they, you know, see someone who is behaving differently. Or they may just, you know, like you talked about your son, you can write it off to, well, it's college, you know, things are difficult. But like you said, it can go much deeper than that. So one of the things that people run into is they want to help. But what do you do if the person doesn't want help, won't accept help? The majority of individuals who are living with mental health challenges are in that category because of several things. Stigma, the concern that if they admit that they have an issue, they will be labeled, and concern that if they're in the workplace, it will affect their relationships and their job, or they may not have that self-awareness because the mental illness is interfering with that. And so one of the things that was very important to my family and is important to other families is to understand from family experiences how to talk to that individual. There tends to be, you know, there's so much still social stigma and then there's self-stigma. You know, I'm broken. There's something wrong with me if I seek help. What we try to do is encourage help-seeking behavior by meeting people in their own place. And by mastering the ability to listen really well with empathy, without judgment, and without forcing a plan, we all want to fix some, you know, our loved ones. Yeah. And one of the things that NAMI taught our family when we were going through it is, you know, there's no rush to conclusion. You don't need a rush to conclusion. Listen to that person, work with them, gain their trust that they know that you know and understand what they're going through. And it really helps to engender trust. And then with this trust, there's, you know, the next step to their compliance, whether it's trust with the family, the medical and clinical therapeutic group or both. And the other thing is to connect. You know, we all need connection. We learn that through this isolation of the pandemic. And when a young person or an older person going through a mental health challenge could connect with other people who are 
in that space. They may be farther along in their recovery or farther behind in their recovery, but they can connect with other people and talk about it in a safe and open environment. It's really a protective factor, and it's really a very positive factor in recovery. And that, that's what we found on all angles as we went through this in our own family. You know, we do a lot of work with Canine Assisted Therapy, Inc., Cat Dogs, Inc., and they bring the therapy dogs out. Like after the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman mm-hmm. Douglas, they brought the therapy dogs out. And the difference it makes in people is remarkable. So is that, you know, having something to care for, having a pet that loves you unconditionally and being responsible, knowing that if you do something to yourself, what's going to happen to the pet? Can that make a difference? I think, you know, and and we're having actually the uh, Miami-Dade Police Department pet therapy dogs at our walk on May 21st. Okay. Yes, we're very excited about that. I think... For every individual, the answer is really different. And I do think connecting to something that gives them joy can help. And certainly pets are one. In our case, my son turned to his music that gave him balance and calmness and joy. I think for every individual, it's really different. But I think the most important thing is that an individual who is at risk gets the mental health care that they need from, you know, all around, all around a support group for them, a support group for their loved ones to help them be smart as they're managing, helping them recover, and clinical help for that individual. So NAMI offers a tremendous amount of support groups. If someone needs actual clinical mental health care, you mentioned there are barriers for a lot of populations in terms of access being able to afford mental health support. And there's an idea that, you know, you're going to have to pay $300 a session to talk to someone. Where can people find mental health support? And and obviously free at NAMI, but in a clinical setting where at least it's on a sliding scale or that they can get it free. What if they don't have insurance? All of those blocks. Yeah. So we have in the state of Florida, seven managing entities. They're independent nonprofits that are funded by the state of Florida to provide mental health and substance use care for their communities. In Miami, Dayton, Monroe, our managing entity is Thriving Mind South Florida. They have a wonderful website where individuals can go to not only find access to mental health care and substance use care, but learn about resources. Thriving Mind is funded to supply funding to providers. They have a provider network of over 40 organizations. NAMI is one of them to provide care. So if somebody is underinsured, uninsured, Thriving Mind is there for them. Also, no questions asked on documentation. We also in Miami-Dade have a central receiving facility at Banyan Health. What is a central receiving facility? It's part of the state of Florida's no wrong door entry into the system of care. People can go there and get assessed and be directed to resources. We have one mobile crisis unit, which is not enough for a county that's like 2,800 miles, but we're hopeful that in this particular year that we'll be able to get more mobile crisis units. And a mobile crisis unit is a group of trained clinicians that go out and answer calls on mental health calls. So there are resources. I would direct people to NAMIMiami.org and ThrivingMind.org. Okay. 
Those are perfect places. And also, I want to mention the walk, NAMI Walks Your Way, because that's another place where you can get resources, meet people who are experts, and also meet people who have been through the system, who have been through dealing with, coping with, and ideally recovering from mental health issues. So May 21st, the therapy dogs will be there. What else is happening and where's it going to be? May 21st. 8 to 11.30 a.m. at Maurice Ferre Park, formerly known as Museum Park downtown. We will have marching bands. We will have a children's corner with face painting and bubbles and all kinds of wonderful things for kids. We will have an amazing MC and amazing resources. All the community providers will have tables. And the most important thing is Going back to my comment about stigma, when a community gets together and there are hundreds and hundreds of people celebrating mental health and there are resources talking about what happens if you're unwell, plus we're lighting the whole county green again, all the buildings, All right. it lifts up the conversation. And the most important thing we can do to help all the folks who are having challenges and all the families who love them is to normalize this conversation. It should be the same as I have a bellyache, I have a headache, you know, I need a hip replacement. We should be talking about mental health exactly the same way because at the end of the day, it is a medical disorder that can be successfully treated. Okay. And we should also be talking about it because at the end of the day, the damage that can happen if it's not treated is far more severe than the bellyache. So um, we don't want to lose any more of our loved ones. We don't want to lose the people that we grew up with and and respected and admired who were celebrities or, you know, we see more and more of these social media influencers in their 20s committing suicide. People who were on TV programs as children committing suicide. I still can't get over Naomi Judd. Uh, Never would have suspected, but apparently she dealt with mental health problems for a long time. She hid them well to the public. Most people do. You know, people with serious uh, mental illnesses are able to hide them because of, again, the shame. And, you know, we need to work very hard to say that shame doesn't belong in the same conversation and that people who lose their lives to suicide, you know, just demonstrate that the potential is that a mental illness can be terminal. And that's a very frightening thing. And the other thing that I'm really mindful of, because it's affected my family many times, is that for every individual who loses their life due to suicide, over 130 people are affected directly. Right. So family, the amplification, friends. Right. family, friends, coworkers, classmates. And so the amplification of this makes it a, a really relevant public health challenge. And I think that, you know, as we start to look at it as a terminal event to mental illness, rather than somebody, you know, having a conscious plan to end their lives, I think that we change the narrative with changing the way we talk about it. Okay. Well, it's so enlightening always talking to you, and I could talk to you for hours and hours about this subject. (laughs) And we will certainly talk with you again. For now, I want to be sure people attend the Come to the walk. Yes. The information is on NAMIMiami.org. 
It is not too late to start a team. It is not too late to join someone else's team just to show that you care about mental health for all. So NAMIMiami.org to sign up. And we look forward to seeing the community turn out. Miami-Dade Public Schools will be there. We're going to have marching bands, the police department, the fire department, um, some celebrities will all be there. So we look forward to welcoming the community and to celebrating the fact that we can talk about this openly and um, without shame. Amen. And kudos to you for pulling together an amazing event and always upping your game as the need increases. So thank you, Susan Rager, president of NAMI Miami. We'll continue talking about mental health, not only throughout the month of May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month, but throughout the year. Because as we say, with every Awareness Month, whatever it is we're talking about happens all the time, not just during one month. So, Susan, Thank thank you again. Always a pleasure. A pleasure for me as well. Take care and thank you very much. You too. And thank you for listening to Community Focus this morning. If you have questions about the program or would like to suggest a topic, please feel free to email me at ellen.jaffe, J-A-2-F-1-E, at cmg.com. Join us again next Sunday for a new edition of Community Focus. Have a great day. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.